It's a nerd's eye view on health from the center and around the globe. Where curiosity serves unity, claiming health is a personal responsibility, and whole health is the only health, mind, body, and spirit. Okay, welcome everyone. Today I have with me in the studio, Dale Wilker. Dale is, well, Dale wears many hats actually, but today we're talking about his old blue truck farm hat. Founder, operator, farmer. And we're going here because we know now that what we're facing is a pandemic of health. And when we look at human health, we can't not look beyond at its interface to the ecosystem. Micronutrients include minerals and our soil is wildly deficient. The microbiome interfaces between our own body and the biome of the world. The virome as well, all the different viruses that make up the, the viruses in the air, the soil and the water and in us. And if we want more health resilience, we need to understand this interface and how to make sure we're eating real foods that actually can provide the nutrition we need. Because while supplements are helpful, they in no way can replace what we gain nutritionally from real food. So I'm gonna pivot here to Dale, who's gonna begin with the story of why the old blue truck farm and how he landed there. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long story. Um, uh, my wife and I, oh, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, we were looking for some property to grow some more food, be more self-sufficient, um, have a big garden. And we found a place in uh, on Canyon View Road, just in town in Invermere, and started there and, and realized that that wasn't big enough at the time and then decided to look for a farm. So um, we tried to find a place in town and have an urban farm that couldn't find any land there. And eventually we settled on our property in Swansea Road. So it was, um, it was about a five-year process looking around for land, trying to find something that had water. Water is definitely critical and especially good quality water. Um, and then uh, finding a piece of land that was suited for growing, for selling, for everything with respect to land. So, uh, so Kathleen and I decided to find that and uh, at the same time my daughter Ellen was looking for um, some input uh, helping out on farms. She took some courses at school and so the, it was, it's really been a family affair trying to uh, get this farm up and running. So. When did you get the property at downtown? Uh, 2016. Okay. So it was a raw piece of land that had one tree on it and a pond and um, the pond was the big seller. It was only one and a half acres and we thought that that was too small initially and now that we're on it, I'm definitely thinking it's not too small. You can grow a lot on an acre and a half. So, I've driven by on a number of occasions and been there, but you know, that was a ton of work in order to arrive at a, at a place where the land was ready to be producing food, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talked earlier about our land being deficient and uh, it's not deficient in minerals mostly. It's typically deficient in life. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've beat up our soils in the past. Um, when you look at a farmer's field that's nicely tilled and plowed, everybody goes, drives by and thinks, man, look at that farmer, he's doing things right. But um, basically he's destroyed the biology in that soil. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the biology that the plants need um, to be there to feed them. Uh, the plants can't actually go down into the soil and get the nutrients they need. They can't get the cobalt or the chromium, the same stuff that's on our bumpers. They can't go down and get that um, and all of those little minerals they need. So the biology has to digest it with the acids within it and feed it to the plants. And in turn, the plants feed it sugars through, through the roots, through photosynthesis. So. And, and to be clear, we're talking primarily about the microbes and the fungi and yeah. the, living, the living part of soil. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, and, and by the uh, the microbes, the the worms, everything from worms down to stuff you can barely see on a microscope, all do their job, mm-hmm. and it's a symbiotic relationship. And the fungus is um, is typically the first thing that gets destroyed in the tilling process. Mm-hmm. The mycelial um, networks. Yeah, it's yeah. those strings of uh, mycelium that get chopped up and destroyed. Um, so. We don't till our fields. We uh, basically amend materials on the surface and let the biology come up and get it and take it down in, into the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a ton of different practices that we currently, as modern farmers, don't um, don't use. Um, we're a destructive process as opposed to regenerative, and that's what you need to get to is that regenerative process. So. Yes, the farming practices. For sure, we can say the modern farming practices of, you know, North America and beyond mm-hmm. certainly are guilty of reducing the food quality yep. enormously without even talking about the inputs, mm-hmm. right? Without even talking about the glyphosates and the, and the chemicals, yep. just the, the, the practices around mass production of food destroy the biology of soil. Mm-hmm. So at Old Blue Truck Farm... What are the specific farming practices that help you generate nutritionally dense food um, beyond the absence of tilling? Yeah, so um, we call it beyond organic in the sense that um, even organic uh, farms can still destroy soil life. They their tilling process they um, add safe chemicals and whatnot to that are certified organic that still kill biology. So we do everything we can. We treat our biology as our, um, as our ranch, as our cattle sort of thing. Yeah. We, we've joked about changing the name to Old Blue Truck Ranch instead of farm <laughs> because we're raising soil life. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything you can do to improve their life it benefits you and your soil. And then there are some uh, there are some things that our soils are missing, like minerals and whatnot. Typically, in our valley, we're low in boron, we're low in selenium, we're low in um, manganese, and all those are crucial uh, minerals for uh, for the plants. When we dig in our soil around here, you typically get this beige, powdery, baby powder kind of topsoil, and it has tons of minerals. We actually had it tested but it doesn't have a lot of life within it. So you, the first thing we do is try to incorporate um, compost and compost teas and organic matter. We had to till initially to get rid of the quack grass, but in turn that turns in that grass into the soil and creates organic matter in the soil. And once you get it to the point where it's um, usable, then you really just amend things on the surface as long as you have that organic matter worked into the layers, the depths, the foot or so down uh, into your soil. And then your, your worms and stuff will start showing up and they, the spiders and the biology, the fungus and bacteria will start showing up as long as you, uh, you keep that uh, healthy, keep the soil healthy. So the reference to mycelium for those listening that don't know what that is, it's the, it's the mushroom is the fruit on the mycelial network. Correct. How long does it take for the, that mycelial network when you create the, the correct terrain, which is what mm-hmm. you're talking about? You're supporting terrain yeah. so that now life can emerge. How long until you see that mycelial network begin to form? It could be as quick as weeks. Yeah. I mean, uh, we build our compost using wood chips and a lot of uh, carbon matter. And that's what mycelium needs is carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got about a 50-50 ratio between your carbon and your greens that you're making your compost with, you'll look in that pile about three weeks later and you'll start to see the white strands of, of mycelium growing. So it's all over. It's in the air. It's around. It just needs to, those spores need to land on something mm-hmm. uh, that it uses as food and starts growing. Like when you look at our beige topsoil around here, if you look at it, it's really just powdery minerals. It's yeah. got tons of minerals in there, but there's no organic matter. Yeah. So even if you just took that and worked in some woody compost to that pile, um, you'll start building soil. And our soil now has changed from that beige color to a dark brown, even blackish mm-hmm. soil. 
Um, and some of that blackness is actually the plants that are healthy injecting sugar through its roots into the soil. And it's basically sequestering carbon into the soil. Right. So yes. if you are worried about global warming using CO2 in the atmosphere, the more you can make a healthy soil, um, the more your plants will be healthy and they will keep feeding that carbon out of the atmosphere into the soil. Yeah, so. well, France was a leader in that regenerative farming soil uh, yeah. sequestration. Sequestration. Yeah. Sequ yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sequestering and we haven't even been carbon. Yet, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sequestering carbon into the soil by having a no till yeah. practice. Mm hmm. It would be nice if there was a no-till label on our food. I mean, we can't even get a GM, we can't even get a not using yeah, chemicals, but Yes imagine. and no. Mm -hmm. um, there's a ton of no-till farmers in the States. In fact, most farmers are starting to use no-till as a way to conserve water. Right. Because they leave plant matter on the surface and don't till it in in the fall, leaving the soil exposed to dry out. Um, but a lot of times they kill that plant using glyphosate. Oh, so they're still using the inputs. So yeah. if you use chemicals to create a no-till process, it is potentially building up more life in the soil, but at a cost, yeah. right? So um, the true method of no-till and no toxin um, is the way to do it. Sure. And there are people doing it at scale. There's people like Gabe Brown and there's like a fellow in Australia that are doing tens of thousands of acres um, what we're doing basically and they incorporate animals which is mm -hmm. a key part of it right mm -hmm. they will graze animals over those areas to knock back the plants and trample them down and then uh, basically do a no-till method and inject plants uh, and bring nutrition the, from the animals bring nutrition yeah so that's mm -hmm. one thing we're missing is um we you know it was probably like almost 20 years ago where um I started reading a lot about um, the energy crisis coming up and that's what really got me into farming. I never started any, I never grew anything basically until about 20 years ago. Um, even though I grew up on a farm when I was two years old sort of thing. Um, but it, uh, knowing that we are needing to turn back into a locally supported system, uh, mostly energy. Um, we have to figure out a way to do things locally and most of what we need is to how to grow food. Mm -hmm. uh, we've lost that uh, technique. Um, so that's what got me into it and we got involved with uh, things like Groundswell, mm -hmm. a local organization here, um, building greenhouses and whatnot for the high school kids to try to teach them how to grow food and in fact it taught me more than, uh, than I thought I was going to teach anybody else. Um, but if we, if we figure out a way to grow food locally with local inputs, then that's the key. We, and you, we won't need the synthetic fertilizers and we won't need the, um, um, you know, the chemicals to kill pests and things like that. Mm -hmm. so. Micro everything, really, yeah. right? We have to get back to the basics and you know, we are being afforded a tremendous opportunity. All the things COVID has been some many negative things. Mm -hmm. But just as many positive things, it's forcing people to slow down and recognize what's important. And I think we have to get back to the essentials. Yeah. Um, we can't be this global, you know, prancing yeah, yeah. around. Yeah. Relying you know, on Amazon to bring us vegetables. On, yes. Yeah. And being just simply consumers yeah. of products coming from goodness knows where. Yep. Yeah. Um, we really have to get back to the essentials and food is a great way to do that. And, you know, gardening for me... I do less of it currently than I have historically, but I have always had a garden. Yeah. Even in university, I would dig up part of my backyard yeah. and, and and grow something. Yeah, at least greens. Mm -hmm. um, my my history, my lineage is farming. Oh yeah. And I think it's just in me yeah. to want to do that. And now I have a little urban farm in my backyard. <laughs> the climate here is tricky. Yeah, it's definitely. short here in our valley. Yeah. But I think we need to be doing it. And actually, I want to pivot back to a mineral you mentioned that we are deficient in this valley, selenium. Yep. Because selenium has a particular function in our current pandemic in that it's when we are nutritionally replete in selenium, we decrease the likelihood of mutations occurring. Mm -hmm. So in the photocopying of the virus in the ribosome, in the cell, 
when we are nutritionally replete in selenium, we get less disruption in that photocopying process. Mm, interesting. The Japanese figured that out about 20 yeah. years ago. So if we were actually all selenium replete, yeah. we would see less mutations. If we were uh, grazers, we would be in trouble because the soil is depleting of it. And the local farmers actually use uh, selenium salt licks um, they do. Uh, okay. for their cattle. So uh, otherwise their bone structure will actually be weak and the cattle will be um, unhealthy. So yeah, they, they know that uh, they've done their soil tests. They know what soils are missing here or minerals are missing here. And if those aren't in the soil, then the grass isn't actually uh, taking Offering. that up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the animals that need to graze on that grass would be deficient in it. Um, but yeah, I've not tried the salt lick, so I don't know. I've <laughs> decided to, to take mineral supplements. But, but yeah, they, and if, if the food, like meat that you're eating, it doesn't have, if the soil doesn't have that, if they're, if they're grain fed from some glyphosate type grain chemical in a feedlot somewhere, then your meat doesn't even have the minerals and stuff that it should have. It'll still look like meat, mm -hmm. but it's deficient. And even organic vegetables you get from somewhere that aren't grown in a, in a system that allows for those minerals to be absorbed up will be deficient in those minerals. They'll be healthier for you because they won't have toxins and whatnot in it, but they still won't be uh, having the minerals that you need. Mm -hmm. So I know it's kind of a tricky era to be healthy. I, I actually feel like... Health has become for the privileged. Yeah. Um, because you have to have all this knowledge to know these things that we're talking about. You have to have time. You have to have a lot of money to be able to mm -hmm. eat real food, yeah. particularly food that's been raised in the way, you know, you're ranching yeah. it. Yes and no. Um, I mean, the we talk about uh, the money thing all the time in our farm tours. Is that um, people are saying, yeah, well, I can't afford to buy all this stuff. It's really expensive. What we grow, we sell at a higher premium for sure. But we also teach lots of people what we're doing, and if they even grow a third or a tenth or five percent of of what they would buy at a grocery store, um, they would not only be getting the better minerals, but you actually need to eat less. Mm -hmm. When you are eating stuff that's full of minerals, you'll find that um, half of what you used to eat will still fill you up and keep you full for longer times. So it it can cost you less, actually, if you... If you think about it, like if you start growing food like you're doing. Yeah, but I think that I feel privileged to have a backyard yeah, in true. which to grow, right? Like, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I wholeheartedly agree. If we all go back to just cultivating as much food as we can in our own footprint that we have with mm -hmm. good soil quality, we need to eat less. It will cost us less than having to buy it all at the grocery store. Yeah. But I certainly am sensitive to people living in urban areas with at best a 10 yeah, foot square foot or balcony or something right yeah. they're definitely now they tend to have access to, to markets in ways we don't in small communities like yeah. this um i mean we have a good little market that's mm -hmm. a segue i'm going to cut out but <laughs> um okay so let's have a look here at more about around soil practices specifically because what i want to draw the parallel to is you know as dale has mentioned in order for plants to, you know, have an uptake of minerals and other nutrition in the soil, they need the biology, the, the microbes, mycelium, the fungi, the worms, in order to transit these materials from the soil to the plant. Now, when we eat food, it goes through this process from our mouth all the way through into our stomach and into our small intestine where we actually absorb nutrition. And in that location, in order for us to absorb these nutritional pieces into our bloodstream through the small intestine, our bacteria actually facilitate that transit. Mm -hmm. So on both ends of this, you know, nutrition getting into the food and nutrition coming out of the food into our body, on both ends, this is bookmarked by the biology of the microbes, which really creates a situation where soil health and gut health are the biggest contributors to nutrition transfer. Yep. So let's talk a little bit more about um, the soil practices that someone can do, let's say at home, when they're starting their, their garden. Mm -hmm. Because they want to have nutritionally dense food for less money. Yep. And they're inspired by this conversation. Yeah. 
So it's January, right? No, it's December. <laughs> it's still December. Soon to be January. I've just jumped ahead. It's January when this you is You might published. be listening to this in January. Yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking, now what? I want to plant a garden for, you know, the spring. What am I thinking in terms of exposure, plants I can grow in different climates, and how to get started? Yeah. Um, lots of topics there for sure. The... Um, uh, the biggest thing that we tell everybody to do is to um, first assess their soils. Um, we take our soil and every fall we get a soil test done um, so that we know that we're low in, in chromium and cobalt and whatever other minerals that our soil is low in. And then we amend it in the fall if we can at that time so that it, biology has the winter to move it into the soil. Um, so assessing what you're dealing with, some people may already be dealing with decent soil, others uh, most likely not, um, and then making the amendments to that, whether it's adding a whole bunch of compost. Um, we do a lot of compost teas, so we have a bunch of different worm bins in our um, farm, a giant freezer version and everything down to a small uh, garage version. Um, and we use that as a compost tea manufacturing uh, facility. We let the worms chew our uh, food waste and all kinds of other things, crop materials that we stick in it, and turn it into a really rich um, compost. And then we flush water through it and capture that water out the bottom and water our fields with it, our gardens with it, our beds with it. And basically what you're doing is you're inoculating those fields with um, all the biology, those small microbes that you've washed through with that water and captured that into the water. There's tons of little um, worm castings, which are little baby worm eggs, basically. Um, so then you're injecting that into your soil and basically just pouring it on the surface. Um, and that will then introduce that to your soil. Okay, but practically speaking, I have tried worm farming hmm? and I have failed twice. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's as easy as, or maybe I'm just not very good at it, but what do you do with them in the winter? So, you know, I had a little one inside. Yep. I had, we're talking red wigglers. Yep. Correct. So I had red wigglers in my compost bin. They of course didn't make it through the winter. Right. Um, so then I tried an indoor station yep. and I ended up growing these other worms. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what's the trick to this? Like, how, how are you doing that, practically speaking? Yeah, we move ours into either our garage or our, our okay. greenhouse that really just barely freezes in the winter. And they, um, our structures are large enough so that when it's cold, they kind of huddle around the middle of it and stay warm inside. And then as the temperatures warm up, they survive and expand again. So how big is so, it? So uh, one is a, a freezer that's six feet long. Uh, basically, we turn it into a, a bin. And oh, another like an one, actual old freezer. Yeah, we just went to the dump and grabbed a freezer and turned it into a worm bin sort of thing. How'd you start it? Um, with a lot of worms. Um, well, actually, no, we only had about a pound of worms to start. But if you feed them really good food initially, they will then propagate. So okay, This may um, sound elementary, but so I have this empty freezer I found at the dump. I have mm -hmm. a pound of worms. I put them in there. I have to put in some carbon, like some... Oh yeah, you start building it up in layers. It's not totally yes. full to begin with. Okay. Um, we built a small wire mesh about six inches off the bottom of the freezer. Okay. So that um, that is your layer that everything stops at. We then put a layer of paper, uh, newspaper basically down on top of that, and then start throwing the material in, the wood chips or the sawdust, uh, in with the worms, and then all our food waste and things like that. If we cut down our tomato stalks or any of that sort of stuff, we're putting that in there as well, just to get a, a good variety of different materials for them to chew on. And are you aiming for untreated woods? Uh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, you can go down to the lumber mill. I mean, in town here, there's a place called Rona that we go down and you can get truckloads of sawdust if you shovel it into the back of your pickup sort of thing if you want. We just go down with garbage cans and fill them up and take them back sort of thing. Hmm. Um, so if you have a good wood source, whether it's that or whether it's your local tree pruning company that um, wants to drop off some wood chips for you or somehow even just buying wood chips from the store, you can then use them. Uh, shredded paper works great too as a carbon source for worms. 
uh, they don't mind newsprint um, or paper stock. Um, and then mixing again, just like your outdoor compost bin, about a 50-50 ratio of wood chips and carbon to greens. And that keeps the smell down as well too. You probably, you know, experienced some stinky times or whatever, depending on what was in there. Yeah, if my ratio was off, for sure. Yep. Um, and did you, do you chop up your food waste when mm. you put it in? The more you chop it up, the quicker the process happens. Um, but sometimes we're just too busy and we just chuck the whole stocks in there and eventually they'll start decomposing. They just take longer. Mm -hmm. um, things like um, avocado pits and shells and um, corn cobs, those kind of bigger, harder things take a long time to decompose. But it, we're not worried about it. It can be in there for a year or two if we want and um, they'll eventually devour it. And because you've put that screen in the bottom of your container, whether it's a freezer or a, a, we've got methods of making them out of 55 gallon drums, um, you can make them out of Rubbermaid totes. Somehow you basically have to create a separation between your containment of your compost and a space below there for the leachate to drip into sort of thing. Do you have a little spigot on the bottom of your no, freezer? How do you get it out, the fluid? Um, with our freezer one, we basically have it sitting on a bit of a lean and the liquid drops to the bottom of the freezer and we cut a hole at the back one okay. corner of it. Yeah. So it then just drips into a bucket. Um, okay. And we see that bucket once it's full, we put it on the plants or whatever. So what kind of timeline here? So, you know, we have somebody hypothetically listening who's starting their process right, right now, planning and then starting this spring. The soil regenerative process, obviously timeline would vary based on how, where you're mm -hmm. starting. But what kind of response, like we, we talked about a very quick response in the mycelial network if you create the terrain yep. for it. What about in the microbial response? Um, the microbial response, so one of the things that we, um, it, in our farm, for example, we started 2016, we bought the land, we started um, planting the orchard first, and then the, the next year we started planting the soils uh, or the beds or whatever for uh, growing things. Um, it took us probably about three to four years to get it to the point where it's really um, rich. It doesn't compact anymore because you've got all that organic matter there. We, um, we just amend on the surface and you dig your hands in there um, and it's a dark color down to about a foot deep sort of thing. Right. So it can have, that's relatively quick in, yeah. in geological times. I mean, the soils and the black soils and the prairies took millions of years basically for the uh, buffalo to create those soils. So um, you can you can do it fairly quickly, um, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. You can do it even really quickly if you want to just, um, if you're creating a bed, say, uh, all on your own, you can just get a, buy a lot of compost and start with just compost, right? Um, there's lots of nurseries around town that sell compost and bulk. You can back up your pickup truck or a trailer or something like that and buy mm -hmm. compost. Yeah, those yeah. above ground box systems are quite popular yeah. too. They're trendy now and, and yeah. accessible and easy and you can start with healthy yeah. soil right away. Well, there's an organization in Vancouver that grows in downtown Vancouver on empty lots. Right. Uh, it's a place called Soul Foods and they just build these four foot by eight foot uh, boxes that are two feet deep um, and they create soil beds basically. And when that lot gets sold, they come along with a big semi and they pick those beds up, put them on the semi and ship them to another uh, lot. So you can, you can grow really quickly on, on anything that you want sort of thing. With those boxes? Yeah, with, any, yeah. with lots of creative ideas. So. Let's talk a little bit about managing pests and how the health of the soil contributes to how many pests in your plants you're going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. That's what, when the tours, everybody asks, well, what do you do for pest spraying, pests or diseases? You know, you get funguses and things like that. Um, and there's, uh, there's really nothing we do for them. We, um, if plants are healthy, they, they're creating lipids within their structure of the plants. And lipids are indigestible to most pests, so they can't actually digest the plant. And if the plant is healthy as well, they can't see it. Um, 
bugs don't fly around and look for your turnip plant or something like that. The turnip plant has to actually give off a stress signal when it's not healthy. And the plants with their, or the bugs with their antennae pick that signal up. It's an electric signal actually. And they know that that plant is, uh, is unhealthy and they come in and they zoom in on it. And then if there's a lot of unhealthy plants, then they basically keep propagating and more bugs show up and, uh, and are born and, and basically devour a field of whatever, whatever that is sort of thing that's unhealthy. So if you keep your plants healthy, the, the structure is full of lipids. They build all kinds of different structures within them. Their skin is more waxy as well too and shiny sort of thing. And that um, they just can't see them. So we're relying on that. Um, another thing that we do is we um, don't monocrop things. So we're growing a bunch of different diverse plants in amongst others um, so that you're, you don't have one signal um, for plant or bugs to come and get it or diseases to come and get your plants. Um, in our orchard, for example, we this year we grew squash, pumpkins, um, leeks, or not leeks, um, garlic, um, chives, um, walking onions, everything under the, the, the orchard, basically on the floor of the orchard. So it's creating all these different smells, signals, sounds, um, and uh, not attracting one specific bug, you know, maybe trying to get our apple trees or something like that. So, so actually, you're talking about an electromagnetic mm -hmm. field around yeah. the plant that doesn't attract the insect? Correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, bugs can't see plants uh, that they want to eat. They have to uh, sense them. In the electromagnetic? And it's a, a signal. They have antenna for a reason. Yeah. So it... Um, uh, when when we're healthy, we get a lot of stress or unhealthy, we get yes. a lot of stress signals, right? So, yeah. and people pick up on that. So, there's a lot we don't know about there human biology and plant biology. I know our technology. I've been waiting for so long, especially in my practice of osteopathy. We become sensitive and palpate. We have a palpatory experience of things we don't understand yet. Yeah. And lots of people will discount that. Um, because they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And if we, it's, I think it was David, Henry or David Thoreau that said, if we measure our understanding only, measure what we can see by the tape of our understanding, yeah. imagine how much we're missing. Mm -hmm. And so I actually really love this. I'm coming back to it because I really love that the, the insects are either being attracted towards your plant or unable to be drawn in based yep. on the electromagnetic field of the plant mm -hmm. and basically it's health yep. it's it's thumbprint of health well and a great example of this is uh, we get um, a fair high uh, aphid pressure in greenhouses so our greenhouse that's the warmest one attached to the house um, we typically grow tomatoes cucumbers and um, peppers in there in the summer months sort of thing and that is the highest stress time the plants are are overheated anything above 35 degrees plants start instead of uh, taking in sun and turning it into sugars they actually start um, sweating and basically trying to get rid of that heat um, so we have typically aphids that are in the greenhouse and you will see plants right beside each other one that's stressed for some reason and other one that's looking really healthy it, the one beside it will have tons of aphids underneath its leaf and the one uh, that's healthy will not have any. So they, it's not like they can't crawl over to that or fly over to that one. Um, it's, they're basically just attacking the unhealthy ones. Okay, well I'm drawing a real life example from my yard because our fence along the back of our yard was sprayed by a previous neighbor with a horrible chemical mm. and it, it bled through. Oh yeah. And, and it, all of my raspberries died yeah. and we had, um, we have some cherry trees along that fence and you know who gets aphids first. Yeah, it's those nice. ones. It's always along that fence because it's been years since this, since that previous owner did that, but they haven't recovered. Yeah. It's probably into the soil life again. It's in the right? soil. It, yeah. That biology is just struggling to get back there mm -hmm. or it's res restricting the access of certain bugs because of that chemical sort of thing. Right? Yeah. And, and that's with a couple of years of me 
mm-hmm. you know, working to cultivate it. Although yeah. I did make a big error. I went and got some hay and I think it must have been sprayed because, uh, sorry, straw, straw. I think it had been, yeah. had been sprayed because I put it down on my mm-hmm. raspberries and they all died. Yeah, a lot of the challenges with the straws and the haze is um, a lot of the wheat farmers use glyphosate as a drying agent. Yeah. So they spray it on their crop before they harvest, um, and then it's on the stock of the straw as well, too. Right? Yeah, I think that's so, what happened. Yeah, we've given up trying to get outdoor sources, outside sources for those things. We basically mow our own fields right now and use that as our mulches and stuff on the surfaces of the soils. and things like that, just because we can't rely on, uh, even if someone wants to drop their grass clippings off, I can't take it because it, it could have glyphosate on it or a weed killer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, one of the funny things, the fun things that we describe to people on our farm tours is that the um, we rely on uh, treating our farm uh, as growing a uh, an organism organizes organisms that um, are just like you and I so humans need um, we follow the rule of threes so I don't know if you've heard of the rule mm-hmm. of threes but basically it's you three weeks without food we can go we can go three days without water we can go three hours without shelter we can go three minutes without uh, oxygen and we can go three seconds without our cell phones. <laughs> so if we realize that plants, the organisms in the soils need those same things, mm-hmm. if you are a farmer trying to grow anything and you follow those rule of threes, you will keep your soil healthy. So they need, um, they need uh, food, uh, they need air, so you need to keep your soils loose. They need shelter, so we put mulches on the surface of our soils when we grow things, whether that's a green layer of something growing, or whether that's straw or hay or grass clippings or leaves, or we even use a lot of wood chips, like just straight wood chips on the surface. Hmm. And then they need water, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can provide those basic things, then uh, you will be building a healthy soil life. Mm -hmm. So... And even in the winter, we cover our soils either with a, a plastic tarp or with straw or whatever because the surface of that soil is just being beaten down by the sun's elements and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've started covering them with coffee bags. Yeah, no, anything like that would just give that soil life a bit of extra protection. Mm-hmm. So, Well, let's take, let's summarize all of this and bring it back to the practical reality that we are still in, which is this lingering COVID era. Mm-hmm. Um, let's tie this together with you sharing with us, like what are you doing right now with your knowledge of soil health and its interface with human health? How are you increasing your resilience for you know the infectious pressure of SARS-CoV-2 and really any other number of viruses? Yeah, I, I mean, like I described, that we're doing really nothing with our, uh, for our plants. We're not giving them chemicals or we're not, you know, treating them in any way. We're just making sure that their gut biome is got as healthy of, uh, of a mix of minerals and, and is active and there's biology down there. Um, we're just doing that the same, or at least I'm doing that the same with myself, right? I'm... Mm-hmm. Um, trying to eat healthy. I still like burgers. I'm trying to uh, uh, make sure I've got the minerals that I need. I have been taking selenium supplements and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, uh, vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not get a lot of vitamin D in the winter, so um, I take vitamin D supplements. But the other than that, I stay active. I stay healthy. I get out as often as I can try to socialize as much as possible so your mental health is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just doing things like that mm-hmm. and not relying on some sort of chemical or quick fix that theoretically is supposed to do something. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and you know what? I read a study just yesterday. I think it was published last week and it was actually all about probiotics. Mm. And probiotics, you know, I'm going to... Anyways, it's my opinion, so I'm sharing it freely. I think they're actually, they're misguided. It's a misguided um, 
idea. When we consume probiotics, they don't stay. They're just visitors at the party. They pass yeah. on through. So yeah. we're not actually changing the biome. We have to change the biome by what we feed it, yeah. which is kind of what you're saying. Yes, you have to inoculate the soil with microbes, but if you don't actually change the terrain of the soil in what you are offering it in terms of its structure and the inputs, you're not going to change the microbial community. Yeah. And the same goes for our gut. While probiotics can be helpful immediately after you know, an event, particularly if it was an antibiotic event, hmm. or you know, a traveling event where you got really sick, you can throw a bunch in to try to repopulate. And some will stick. Or... And some will stick, but it's more about fiber. Mm-hmm. Fiber is the most important thing yeah. in our diet because it's a prebiotic. It feeds the, the bacteria. And so there's some very interesting science out there right now that commercial probiotics are actually contributing to the severity of COVID in some people because we've completely disrupted and caused a dysbiosis of the human microbiome, which we know we've also caused with glyphosate. It's caused some major problems. And I'm going to take a moment and circle back on vitamin D, which we're going to do a deep dive on in the next episode with a, with a guest, but we absorb vitamin D through our skin Mm -hmm. and through food sources, particularly, you know, fish and eggs. Mm -hmm. But we then have to transform it in our liver and in our kidneys into a usable form. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges is, is that the enzyme that's part of that transformation is injured by glyphosate. Mm -hmm. So our ability to actually turn the vitamin D we do currently get which in Canada is not nearly yeah. enough. Yeah, you could be running around naked in the winter and still not getting not going to happen. The sun. Yeah. But even what we do get, we are not actually harnessing into a usable form because mm-hmm. we've disrupted that process. Yeah. So. Yeah. It kind of really comes back to the simple things, as you say, that we have to reduce our environmental toxins. We have to stick to real food, mm-hmm. not packaged foodstuffs. Yep. And we have to cultivate our health by our choices. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, apparently a lot of the starchy, um, like, uh, potatoes and things like that are really good for your gut biome as well, too. Yeah. When you, you don't necessarily think of those as fiber. Yeah. Um, and onions and garlic. Yeah. Um, jicama. Never heard of it. It's, um, it's a root vegetable. Huh. Are really good prebiotic right. foods, meaning they feed the, the biome. Yeah, things like yams I've heard as well too. Yams, that sort of stuff. Yep. yeah. Root vegetables for yeah. sure. And well, even just fiber in, in berries, mm-hmm. interestingly, that's that yeah. has a pretty big impact on the gut. Yeah, like, just like in the soils or whatever, the, the variety is important, right? You don't want just nematodes in there. You don't want just worms in there. You want all kinds of different, you know, millions of uh, different species. Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing with your gut, same thing with your food intake, um, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. You yeah, know, we are carbon-based life forms, so so is our gut, right? Mm-hmm. And so is the soil, right? So one of the things we've done in the past is um, theoretically healthy plants are injecting sugars into the soil because they're feeding the soil carbon. Basically, sugar is carbon. Um, so we actually speed up that process by spraying sugar on our fields. Okay. So we are actually in giving the microbes, the the biology in the soil, some extra food in in the buildup process of our soils to get them to the point where they're healthy. So it's not something I ever thought I would ever do is go around and spray molasses on soils, but it's amazing how something like that can do uh, a lot. And uh, one of the things we didn't talk about is that the surface of plants, there's a ton of biology on the surface of plants. Mm-hmm. So we, when we're spraying the soils with sugars, we're also spraying the plants and yeah. whatnot. And they, then the, the uh, bacteria and fungus and microbes, the little things you can't see on the leaf of the plant, um, they then have that food right there and will then propagate and be healthier and do the job that they're supposed to be doing. So it's, um, it's an important thing as well. Um, yeah, we, um, we need to get, you know, one of the things we don't do on our farm is we uh, wash our vegetables as little as possible. Mm-hmm. We harvest our greens straight, put them in the bucket, throw them in the cooler. 
we harvest any of the vegetables other than maybe some of the root crops that we have to wash off just so we can sell them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, we need to do that to keep that biology alive on the surface of that plant as long as possible, as close to the point where it gets eaten. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we were all had a garden in our house, we could go out and pick those greens and eat it right away because then that biology is on that leaf. Mm -hmm. It goes directly into our gut and is still alive. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're getting triple washed vegetables or whatever, there's no more biology on that. And it starts the rotting process uh, sooner as well too. Mm -hmm. Like the greens will stay in your fridge unwashed for weeks and still look good compared to like a day or so if you uh, wash it three times. They're denuded of life. Yeah. yeah. Denuded of life. Yeah. I mean, I there's a lot to be said, and we could go down a lot of lot of paths from this one conversation, because without this diversity in our ecosystem, we don't have the diversity within our human mm -hmm. micro ecosystem, and we don't have health. And ultimately, the the forces of health is the force of life. Mm -hmm. And it's the same yeah. in all living things, you know, yeah. the world round and beyond. And so we, we have a tremendous opportunity right now for people to awaken to this simple truth mm -hmm. and cultivate this in every dimension. Yeah. And that to me is the way out of, you know, the pandemic is a blip really. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity of awakening back to nature. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It all starts with, you know, whatever, billions of years ago when the first microbe was starting to grow on Earth or whatever, it, um, it started dissolving those rocks and turning it into soil and the soil turned it into plants and the plants turned it into us and we ended up evolving with plants having to eat all that stuff from nature, right? And, Without that symbiotic relationship, we're not going to be healthy and we can't, you know, we need to have those plants and, and uh, make sure they're full of the minerals we need. So, you know, there's 80 some odd minerals in, uh, in, on earth right now that plants and humans need. And with chemical fertilizers and stuff, we're getting maybe five or six of those. So even with the organic fertilizers, we're only getting seven or eight of those minerals. And, how do we get them in our body? We have to get them from the soil. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope that this conversation inspires you to start thinking about planting your garden. Yeah. And getting, you know, your feet and hands dirty and get reconnected to the soil and to nature. Because that's what we need to do now, really. Yeah, I take, I mean, um, be the change you want to see, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's you need to s take responsibility for your own health, and no one else is is going to do it for you. So. No, I've been writing yeah. a lot lately. Your friends cannot give you health. Your mm -hmm. family can give you health, and your government is most certainly not going to give you health. <laughs> so it is really truly time to decide. It's yours to claim. It's it's a life force within you. You either work with it or you work against it, and there's just yeah. you know. It, it really comes down to that binary a, a situation. Yeah. You know, collude with your own health forces or erode them. Yeah. And we, I mean, we'd even get into the mental health side of things. I mean, gardening, like, I think you were talking about it earlier when mm -hmm. we were chatting. Um, it's so therapeutic. It's so I mean, therapeutic. it's so rewarding. It's to see that something you, that little seed you planted. When, when the kids were doing this at the greenhouses, they would plant that seed and a few weeks later they'd come back and there'd be something coming out of the ground and they'd start naming it or whatever they would do. And it's this whole therapeutic process, mm -hmm. you know. It's ritual for me, actually. Yeah. Truly. And, you know, in the spring, is it's even if I don't fully finish the job and harvest it all, which I'm guilty of sometimes, getting busy and missing yeah. a harvest window, I still do it for the joy of it. You know, mm -hmm. and the process of watching life grow um, out of the soil in the springtime. Yeah, sticking your hands in the soil. I mean, don't wash your hands. I mean, all that biology getting all over you is is super critical. I mean, kids that used to just pull carrots out of the ground and eat them are the healthiest kids around, right? It was actually a very cool study that was just done um, where they brought into, like, inner city environments, of course, have... Um, 
don't have a proper balance of microbes. And so when we, when we actually get rid of all the good microbes, we allow the pathogenic ones to um, grow unchecked by the commensal, the good guys. Well, they brought into playgrounds and in inner city neighborhoods. They created a soil base hmm. and brought in healthy microbes into those, oh, yeah. those playgrounds and watched the health of the children transform. It's a right. fascinating study. I should post it as a link here. Well, they're crawling around all over the grass and, you know, getting it all over them and in their mouths. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and so if we want to make our population healthy, we have to be connected to nature. And, you know, where Dale and I live and where we're recording this, we're extraordinarily privileged. We have nature yeah, all around us, but in city environments and in, in dense urban environments, it requires more creativity, like how to bring that into a yeah. playground environment and how to get that on your little deck, um, how to have a worm farm inside your apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, my worm farm is a small house version. Mm -hmm. It's a three stack one. I failed, but I'm going to try again. Um, there are a lot of ways to do this, even in urban mm -hmm. environments. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, we're, uh, for those that don't know where we are, we're in a place that's right now it's minus 25 out, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll get down to minus 35 in the winter Celsius. And so we have six months to grow food here. Mm -hmm. And unless you have greenhouses or other structures and whatnot. And you can actually do a lot in those, in those locations. So Especially the root vegetables, hey? Like, yeah. and I usually store quite a lot through the winter. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, makes me feel secure. Lots of carrots stored in sand in our cold room. And basically, they'll, we'll have fresh carrots basically year-round. And in fact, this uh, year we kept a bunch of the carrots in the ground till about three, four weeks after uh, our first uh, freeze-up sort of thing. And we just tarped them over with uh, a tarp and threw some straw and whatnot over top of them. And it kept the ground from freezing. So we could just kind of peel that layer up go and dig some carrots out and, and harvest them fresh. Did they basically. taste different with that hit of cold? They taste fantastic because they start um, securing sugars within them, right? Right. So most plants, when they get cold, spinach and kales and stuff like that as well, they start um, producing uh, more, storing more sugars. Yeah, um, kale for, the winter, for sure. Basically. I always leave until the first frost. Yeah. And uh, so there's lots of things you can do in cold climates that uh, will prolong that um, fresh produce uh, timeline sort of thing. So. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll leave some I'll leave some links in the show notes for people to to um, go and dive a little deeper, including a contact. Yeah, you can put in old, my email. Yep, for the old blue mm -hmm. truck farm, if you want to inquire further with Dale. And uh, happy gardening. Mm -hmm. Healthy eating. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hope to see you guys out there. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. Together, we can light the way to better health. Join us at growyourhealth.ca to learn more about how to add your light to the movement. <laughs>